Conversations with Bob and Sherry is where the extrovert artist meets the introvert engineer. It's where analysis intersects experience. Join us as we explore news and culture to better understand what's true and important. Sherry's not with me today, but uh, Joy has agreed to join me for our conversation. Hi, Joy. Hi, Bob. How are you? Good. Thanks for coming on board here. Thank you. Hey, I wanted to talk today about the thing going on in Gettysburg with the school district and the trans tennis coach. Sure. I think, uh, you know, you're you're up to speed on that. Yeah. So there's a uh, there is a, a coach who was, I believe, a male coach, and he coached girls tennis in Gettysburg. Um, he then transitioned and decided that, you know, he identified as a woman, changed his name to Sasha. When he did that, he went into the girls' locker room and apparently changed in front of the girls. So, so for context, he is still a biological male. Mm-hmm. He identifies as a woman, but he is a biological male changing in the locker room with high school girls, which, you know, if you think about it, I, I don't even know of female teachers who change in the locker room with the high school students. I mean, it's it's something that doesn't really typically happen, you know, so it was it was kind no, of same, same here. I go I go a ways back. But, yeah, I don't recall ever <laughs> having a coach or a gym teacher or anyone come in the locker room when the boys were there and take their clothes off yeah so this this coach was reprimanded um and told you know that is not okay you cannot do that they did renew his contract after this happened and he did it again so i mean Mm -hmm. he he broke rules again after he was told do not do that do not change in front of these young women so okay they are here's one uh i think you left out a piece so it was in march um you know that he was approved right oh wait i'm sorry it was it was in the fall that this happened in the locker room but then in march when they presented the new hire list sasha's name wasn't on the list yeah <laughs> but a person named david was which turns out that was his dead name yeah. but the board didn't catch this so they approved it yes. and then there was another incident yeah. So they they believed after the reprimand that this coach's contract would not be renewed, but yet it was renewed. Right. Uh, was it not removed or was he supposed to be removed? Oh, he would not be rehired. So that was what was on their agenda last night. They've tabled it. Um, I think a few members weren't there. So, yeah. but anyway, it happened again, right? Okay. So. In, in the, they were told he would not be rehired. Then it happened in April, and he went into the girl. They, the board found out about it because he went in the girls' restroom, and one of the girls complained. Right. So they were told he was reprimanded a second time. Right. The board was told he would not be rehired, or she, or whatever. Well, then this fall, just here in August, it, you know, his name was on the rehire list again. Correct. So we we actually have. Um, you know, and when you think about this, you know, I, as a member of Moms for Liberty, we attend, you know, our, our main goal is school boards, right? That's, you know, we're right. looking to put people on school boards. We're looking to make sure that we know what is going on in the schools. The issue, and I've found this in many meetings that I've gone to with solicitors, with school board members, is that the board really, there's so much going on and they're just like you and I, they're just volunteers. They're not being paid. They're, they're parents, they're community members. 
they don't really know what's going on. I mean, you really have to be meticulous in what you're reading and pouring over with contracts, with budgets. I mean, we've we've gone over that before. Yes. Right? We've discussed that. And, and they're they're uh, a burden to get through. These are large mm-hmm. contracts and la- budgets are huge. So yeah, it's a lot of work. And and some board members may not necessarily have the expertise right. to read all that legalese in a contract or to even decipher all the finance. Even someone with a financial background, if you're not from a nonprofit, a school where they utilize a lot of grants and special funding yeah. and things, that can be tough. Yeah. So, and they're supposed to be oversight. So how can you provide oversight if you don't understand what you're looking at? Absolutely. And and Gettysburg is fortunate to have a Moms for Liberty member on their board who did call this out and, and refuses to bend. You know, and she had addressed that the issue is that, you know, many of these people have, you know, moral, ethical, this is wrong. Men, mm-hmm. men in a women's room is wrong. There's... Very few people who are going to tell you that's A-OK, good stuff. And she has addressed that people are not standing up because they're afraid to say this is wrong. I mean, you're going to be labeled. You're going to be labeled a transphobe. You're going to be labeled a homophobe. You're going to be labeled any of these things discriminatory that really are not true. It's, it's not you can do whatever you would like in your private time, but you can't do that in the school girls mm-hmm. locker room. It's just not on top of it being against the rules, on top of it being right. a rule that's been violated two times now, not just once, but twice. So so the board addressed this. This would be the third time now they tried to hire them. A few yeah. weeks ago, they took a vote, and as I understand it, two people were absent. Right. One person abstained. I think they're running for re-election or something, so they right. didn't want to be a part of it. And then it was split three and three. Yeah. So... They they met again this week, yes. I guess, to talk about. and But it sounds like throughout this process, the person really pushing back on this is the solicitor. So you have the solicitor saying, if if we don't bring this person back, if we file one, they just keep talking about a lawsuit, a lawsuit. Yes. And, you know, we're opening ourselves up to a discrimination lawsuit, and that has affected some of the votes, but yet it seems that the school board shares a consensus that this is a problem. This is, you know, like you said, moral, ethical uh, issues. And I mean, obviously they do, or they wouldn't have had him reprimanded twice. Right. And, and then, and agreed to not bring him back. So they all sort of agree that, you know, we don't want a male body, a man's genitalia in the girl's locker room, you know, or, in the bathroom and that's school policy this person broke policy twice but yet they're afraid to not bring them back for fear of getting sued yeah and uh, that's believe, from the solicitor yeah i believe she referenced title seven i'm, I'm not real familiar with that and again I, but i'm not a lawyer she's not a lawyer you yeah. know you're sitting here trying to fix and that's the thing you know and that's what these school board members are up against is is this wow. agenda that you know the solicitors are telling you we'll just do this because they don't they don't want to have extra work they don't want to rewrite mm-hmm. a policy they pull the policies that come down from the Pennsylvania School Board Association and just say this is what the policy is because who wants to re- rewrite it I mean, I think the board should get a new solicitor now I don't know how <laughs> easy that is aren't they uh, pro bono they don't charge right I I have I, no I, idea I, I, I think they are 
they, I know I want to say they're paid. I want to say you have contracts with these listeners and you can hire and fire them just like you can hire and fire your superintendent. Well, because that chain is the board runs the show and people don't understand that people take orders from the superintendent or take orders from the solicitor. They, they're there to give you guidance, but right. the board is who is elected to represent the parents and the teachers. Yep. And that's, that's the end of it. And a lot of people don't realize that. Well, from my business background, we had a term. We had corporate counsel, and then we would hire attorneys and things like that. We also had engineers and scientists. And I said this during, you know, the pandemic: you don't put an engineer or scientist in the final decision maker of anything. I mean, these are complex decisions, and you certainly don't put the lawyer in charge. So if I'm if I'm an attorney. Um, you know, unless there's, I'm going to get paid more or something and maybe for going, I, I'm going to err on the side of the safest Absolutely. place to be as far as getting sued. So, you know, you can't allow the solicitor to dictate every action of the board. And if the solicitor is that adamant and inflexible to recognize that there are complicated you know issues here and it's not just about the cleanest safest legal position then they should probably get another solicitor absolutely absolutely i mean and and again they're fortunate to have you know three good members who are willing to stand up for this is not okay this yeah. is not right like i understand the the legal aspects of things and that there may be you know some some gray area here but this is not this is not gray area this is black and white right and wrong and they're not bending she's not bending well and so i read in one of the news pieces that the meeting they had this week there were over 30 public people came in for the public comment they actually had to move to a different venue to handle everyone and the vast majority of them were in you know siding with the transgender coach saying that this is bigotry discrimination and all that sort of thing yeah and and i don't i don't as a parent i have i have two children i you know i have a teenage son i have a teenage daughter either way i'm not okay i don't care if it's a woman in the men's room or a man in the woman's room and i know that there it, it gets lost a lot with with the boys you know my son was in high school there was a girl who came into the men's room. He texted me right after, you know, hey, a girl just walked into the bathroom. So imagine being an adolescent, which is a, a horrible time to go through with hormones and everything else and having to, to have this experience and, and having to do that. I mean, my daughter doesn't like to change in front of peers. You know, yeah. it's, it's an uncomfortable time in their life. Their bodies are changing everything. This is a diff this is the most difficult developmental stage that we're in. And now you want to throw this into it. And I'm not sure where these parents who are advocating for this and who are in favor of this, I'm not sure where their their logic is coming in, I guess, would be my answer. I don't even know if that's the word. Well, I mean, some people are just hardcore into the ideology. You know, I call them Kool-Aid drinkers. Yeah, you know, other people just pick the news that they, they choose or they align with their political party and they go along with it and they don't really think critically about it. But if you break it down from facts and science, okay, they, the situation is there's a thing called gender dysphoria where right. people experience such psychological pain and discomfort that they actually modify their bodies in some cases to try to make that you know, right. go away, to, to cope with that way of living so then there's different degrees i mean they do hormones they could just dress without doing hormones but you know in the most 
serious degree, they, they undergo, you know, surgery to modify their bodies. And that's a situation where they're under such psychological distress that, you know, this is to help them be able to live their, their lives. And, you know, suicide, mental health, it's really about mental health. But um, we also know that there are documented men, there are some men who get aroused exposing themselves to women and young girls, you right. know, parading. That's an arousal. There's also known that there, have been, there are some men, they used to be called cross-dressers, some of them, that will wear women's clothing because they get aroused by it. So this is a sexual arousal thing. Right. This isn't about identity and, you know, gender dysphoria for everyone. And it could be a combination of those things. But, you know, one of the good questions I've heard asked is why would an adult male, whether they're trans or gay or whatever they are, why would they want to be in front of schoolgirls naked? If you have a penis, you, why would you want to be in front of these schoolgirls naked? I mean, I mean you know, I, you know that, that you have to question that, even if you're a trans person. Is this person going to? be harassed if they go into the men's locker room in that school i seriously doubt it i mean a trans person is no more is protected in a school more than anywhere these days so if they were to go into the boys locker room and be mocked or made fun of things like that you know those kids would get in trouble you know they have you know they have uh, adult spaces too they have an adult lounge they have adult bathrooms and things that's, like that in the school i would question any adult having feeling the need to get changed in front of a group of students yep. i mean any adult and that's if it's women and women if it's men and men they have their own areas why yes. would you feel the need to have to be nude in front of children under the age of 18 I, it's and back to gender dysphoria I, I don't have it in front of me but what is the actual percentage of people who are who truly experience gender dysphoria because i know it's very very small yeah, I mean, it's growing by large percentages, and some say that's because of the safe environment we've created. I mean, so others among young people especially say it's because we're teaching kids at a very young age things that make them question. I mean, normal, you know, it's normal for a lot of people when they're young to go through some feelings of dif discomfort in their body. Does my body measure up? Right. You know, I, I can attest to that as a, as a man. I mean, I, right. in high school, there were dudes that were muscle bound, they had hair and everything. And I, I had a baby body. <laughs> you know, I was a late grober. I got plenty of hair now. Right. But, you know, back then, I, you know, I was just uncomfortable. And I remember questioning, what's wrong with me? Is there something wrong with me? Well, if you have a society and teachers and everyone teaching you, well, that might mean that you're not really a boy. You can just fix all that by becoming a girl. I mean, you know. What's the percentage of that? I don't know. But you cannot say that that is not a factor. That's just ridiculous. Oh, you know, I was watching an interview. Um, oh, I don't remember. I don't remember who it was with. But anyhow, there was a transgender woman and or man. I don't know. I don't know how they go. There was a transgender person in the audience. And they said, I identify as a woman because that's what, you know, people tell me. Other transgender women have told me that. And that's who I'm basing this on. Well, have you based this on what real women say? <laughs> you know, do they see you as a woman? Because you're only yeah. identifying on what transgender women are saying, which is biological males, which you are. And 
what makes you feel like a woman? Well, that's, I, I feel the same as they do. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's like being in a silo. It's just in right. a vacuum where everybody believes the same thing and that's what makes them you know nobody has this individuality to say no i feel i feel weird or i maybe i'm gay you know i mean there's nothing wrong with that right like maybe i'm gay i don't have to be dressed as a woman just because i'm a feminine man or i don't have to be dressed as a man because i am a tomboy you know it's it's this weird just conforming to these right i mean you want to talk about conformity you know they all want to be unique and individual and everybody should be able to be who they are but they're literally conforming to these mm-hmm. certain statuses that they want it's it's just counter to everything that they say they are well in the worst part they're believing this and I, I don't know if it was john money or the other guy whoever coined the term gender identity you know they it was, was back in the 60s i remember hearing about it as a kid and they said that you know the differences between boys and girls is all environmental. You know, they said that if you were to have a baby born as a boy and you raise them as a girl, they would just be a girl naturally because it's all made up. You know, in reality, that idea is a social construct, but they're going to say the whole idea. And, you know, there's the, the, the story, his, his test case was a pair of twins one of them had a botched circumcision and you know so they told he told the family no problem just have him you know give him the sex change and raise him as a girl so you had one boy one girl i mean the kid had a horrible life it turns out they were they, they were allegedly abused by this guy and you know the one that was raised as a girl ended up tra- transitioning back trying to become a bo- a man again couldn't ended up killing himself right and they, but they, you know, there's plenty of people who think that was a success because they don't report the end of the story. Right. You know. But anyway, that's that's the underlying belief that that a lot of these people key up on. So you just got to ask yourself, you know, for a, a a male body, a penis, a person with a penis in their adult thirties, yeah. forties, whatever, parading in the high school locker room filled with girls undressing, is that okay? No. Yeah. It's not okay. I don't care what's going on up here. I don't care what your belief is about gender identity. Right. You know, st- why why do we dismiss how this affects all those little girls and why do some people only care about how it affects that man, that yeah. adult man? You know, and so and all you need. So all you need now to gain access to girl spaces in a high school, if you're a teacher or whatever, is just to, you know, adopt a female identity and start dressing like one. It doesn't matter if you look good at it or anything. Just put on the dress. Say I'm a female and you can do that. Or if you're a prisoner in prison in a male prison, you want to go to a female prison. I mean, it's just absurd. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. It's. And I, I, like you said, I think most people understand this and they, they know that they don't want their daughter exposed to it. But, you know, there's a lot of social pressure. People are afraid. They, they're afraid to, be, I mean, the vast majority of the parents who came out were in favor of the trans person. So that's going to put a lot of pressure on these board members who voted against it. You know, I, I've said it time and again, I work the polls. I, I meet Democrats. I meet Republicans in my in my community, you know. You don't know what everyone is and it doesn't matter, you know, because people have come up to me and and you find when you have conversations that there are no, you know, grandfathers, fathers, no rational person 
one's a grown man in the bathroom with their daughter. None, mm -hmm. none. It doesn't matter what side of the aisle they're on. It doesn't matter what they're affiliated with. Rational people know this is wrong. There's And there's more rational people, but there's, you know, it's, it's the loud screaming group that says this is wrong and you're going to be outcast. The people just you know, keep quiet and don't say anything. And that's not okay. It's, it's, right. you know, putting people in danger to avoid <laughs> having someone call you a name isn't okay, you know? Mm. And, and like I said, they are grateful that they have these members who are standing firm and saying, yep. this is not okay. I will not bend. I will not break. These are the values. These are the morals. This is right and wrong. We're not, we're not changing that. You don't change right from wrong. It's either right or wrong. And that's it. Well, I've been, you know, reading more about different issues. This is one that I tend to deep dive. And I believe what Moms for Liberty is doing and others like Gays Against Groomers are a fight. I believe they're having an impact, but I don't think you'll ever get credit for it. <laughs> because I think what's starting to happen is you're seeing a silent shift. Oh, the the trend based on WPATH standards and things was to rush people, you know, Gender-affirming care literally came to mean you don't question someone. Right. So all the guardrails that they talk about, you know, even among young children, a lot of the guardrails and things were being taken down. And it was you walk in, it was on demand, give me hormones, give me whatever I asked for, because the same kind of political pressure to not do so was made the doctor, the medical people bigots, and they right. wanted to see people die. So that's where we were going, but I'm seeing more and more now because the, the response to the challenges are, no, no, we don't do, you know, hormones for kids under 18, no sex, you know, surgeries or anything. Yet there's a whole bunch of detransitioners out there who tell their story about it happened to them and they regret it. So they pretend like it's always been that way. But I'm seeing in the the uh, gender clinics, the medical everywhere, they're they're going back towards, you know, psychological evaluation, you know, long term validation of this gender dysphoria so again I, I think exposing it is having an impact um, but I, I don't know that anyone's ever going to come out and say boy they really saved the day those moms for liberty types <laughs> but yeah. you are I, I talk to professionals I talk to you know psychologists and, and people like that and I've I truly want to understand it right like I want to understand what is going on and who is doing this like I, I read stories i'm in groups i'm in you know groups of people with transgender children oh my four-year-old wants to identify as as a boy so i'm going to send them to school as a boy and we're going to do all this and we're so excited it's like christmas morning it's like christmas morning that your child wants to be something else who's who's running the show here now i did you talk know someone like that I don't know anyone personally. Okay. I mean, this You've is seen group. cases of it. I have too. Yeah. I've listened to these. You know, I'm in these groups, and I've talked to. I talked to a woman at the summit, and she said, "My son, I loved um, How to Train Your Dragon. Loved it. Was his favorite movie. He was so into it. He wanted to be named whatever the dragon is. I didn't see it." She said, "So we called him that. Did we get him surgery to become a dragon? It's like an episode of South Park." Where people just, if you've ever watched South Park, they did this. You know, he wanted to be a dolphin. So he got a, a yeah. fan put on him and, and the flippers. And who does that, <laughs> right? Like, you can't do that. The other one wanted to be a black basketball player because he wanted to be taller. So they <laughs> made him black and his knees blew out. I mean, it was just, that's, it's like living in an episode of South Park. It's that 
bizarre. You're, that's yeah, why they like broke his legs and extended <laughs> him, made him taller and black because he was a, a short white kid, and the other the kids that were good were black and tall. But then it, in the end, when he actually went in to play basketball, his body basically fell yes. apart, and the doctor's like, "No, no, no, you can't actually use your body like that. We can make you look like it. That's about yeah. it." Exactly <laughs> what it was. I mean, and. You know, another thing at Summit, you know, Billboard Chris is very, I, I didn't know anything about him. I, I think he's fantastic. He's hes so motivating, right? And he just walks around the country with this message that, you know, you don't put kids on, on puberty blockers and you don't give these kids these drugs because these drugs have real consequence, real effects. And in his session, you know, it was, you didn't know whether to be angry or hysterical crying or motivate. I mean, you just went through the whole gamut of emotions because he's showing 15 year olds who have detransitioned and who truly had a mental illness. You know, she was bipolar or she was, you know, had any number of things and she was uncomfortable with her mind. They said, oh, well, you just identify as a man. That's fine. We'll just, you know, we'll, we'll give you surgeries and give you top surgery. She will never be able to have children. She will never, you know, be normal. She's 15. You know, you're like, she's 15 years old and she's crying and sobbing. I didn't know this was going to be this right. way. And I didn't want this. And I didn't have any idea what the consequences of this would be. And they're just doing it. You know, I don't care what they say they're doing. They're obviously doing it, right? We have people who are, have transitioned. So who is allowing this? Who is saying mm -hmm. this is what you need to do? My kids are perfect. I have two. Flaws and all, my children are the absolute most perfect thing from top to bottom, head to toe, inside and outside. I would never want to change my children for anything. I, I, they're perfect. So who's telling their kids they're not perfect? You were born as you are meant to be, and, and you're perfect just as you are. That's the message people should be telling all kids, right? Everything. Mm -hmm. You know, any shortcomings, your shortcomings are are your positives in some way? Maybe it's not right now. Maybe it's not apparent to you right now. But at one day, that's going to be what makes you. And they're missing the point. They're missing it. It's just, let's do a quick fix, change it, and everything will be fine. And it's not. It's not the way it is. No. Nope. Well said. <laughs> so uh, have you been following the Trump indictment? You know what? It changes every day, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Which one, right? It's a new thing every day. And I'm like, you know what my issue is? It is is what's going to happen? You know, it's my my thing is always you know, my, my husband turns on the news and he's like, oh, did you see this? And I'm like, who's doing anything about it? Is anyone doing anything? Because if they're not doing anything, I don't even care because it's just going to be something right. tomorrow. So, you know, it's he has like 400 different charges against him, right? What uh, I, I, I forget how many charges, but, you know, the, the unique thing about Georgia is it's the RICO. Right. So these were racketeering laws mm -hmm. for gangsters. And right. what it's supposed to be is so in the organized crime, the higher ups didn't actually do the crimes, but they right. orchestrated it and ordered it. And, you know, so. You couldn't ever prosecute the higher ups. The underlings would actually do the stealing, the the assaults, the murders, whatever. And, you know, they could get arrested and charged with that crime, but you could never charge the people who actually are running the enterprise and giving the orders and things like that. So that's what Rico did. It said if you can prove that there's a criminal enterprise that this person is involved in, 
then even though they didn't actually do a crime themselves, they're guilty under this RICO. It combines criminal penalties with civil penalties. So, like, if, if uh, you know, guy's proven to be a mob boss and he owns properties and things, you can seize his properties. Um, it makes it easier to charge these folks. And it, um, well, I mean, you know, that that's really it. So, but one of the things, apparently in Georgia, the standard for charging RICO is actually even lower than the federal. Oh, wow. But, so the federal government, federal prosecutors are required to ask permission before using RICO. Department of Justice guidance mandates no RICO criminal indictment or information information or civil complaints shall be filed and no civil investigation demand shall be issued without prior prior approval of the criminal division. They said that the uh, in, a, in their documents, they say utilization of the RICO statute statute more so than most other federal criminal sanctions requires particularly careful and reasoned application. And the DOJ higher-ups warn they will not approve imaginative prosecutions under RICO, which are far afield from the congressional purpose of the RICO statute. So the federal government acknowledges that this can be abused. Right. Well, this woman, um, what's her name, Fanny, she has... She brags that she has brought more RICO cases in the last 18 to 20 months in Georgia than what they've done in 10 years. <laughs> Who's not overseeing this? And, and here's my thing. I did see that they were looking to indict her. Right. Is that correct? That the Republicans Oh, I don't know. The Republicans? That they were looking to indict her because she's doing this. And okay. My how did she get away with doing this in the first place? Why are we coming in late to the game to say, wait, 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 stop. You know, why is this being allowed to go on at all? I mean, it is. How is that not an abuse of power? Well, I've decided that these prosecutors, like a lot of people who were in the Trump White House, you remember there were so many whistleblowers, people that left Trump and then wrote a book and made a ton of money. I mean, you can really elevate yourself. You can go on, end up on CNN as a contributor making millions of dollars a year just to come in and bash Trump. Absolutely. So, you know, it, it for these prosecutors in New York and now in Georgia, nobody ever heard of them before if you didn't live. You know, Alvin Bragg and Fannie Richards are now national names. So there's a lot of rewards just for bringing the charges. Where in the past, if you brought charges that were, you know, found to be somewhat frivolous or, you know, didn't work, that would reflect badly on you. It's like just charging Trump is all benefit to these people. There's no downside whatsoever. They're yeah. never held accountable by the media. They know it. Yeah, that's a good point. Because, yeah, Rico uh, was, was made just for for the mob. I mean, they yes. did specifically for the mob because they couldn't get them. Well, Fannie Willis, one of her cases she prosecuted uh, under Rico was a, quote, ring of school teachers, public school teachers for inflating student grades. So apparently school teachers were inflating grades. I don't know why. I didn't drill down into it, maybe to help move the kids out of their classroom or whatever. But she used uh, RICO statutes to convict 11 of the 12 educators. So she put 12 of these people on trial and 11 were convicted of RICO. 
Um, she also used it against a rapper, Young Thug, who she accused of leading a criminal operation. <laughs> so teachers elevating grades was prosecuted under RICO by this uh, Fanny Willis. Well, what's funny about that is that now they're doing this equity grading where you don't even have to do your homework. Right. Or pass tests and they'll pass you because it's not fair. It's like a contradiction mm -hmm. of what they're even doing. You can't elevate their grades, but yet now you can't grade them either. So where where do even teachers, how are teachers not outraged at this point? Where are they stepping up and saying, you guys are making this really hard. Like, I did not go to school to be a counselor. I did not go to right. school to fight this. I just want to teach math and go home. Well, you know, I think some of the people who have analyzed this said, how are they going to prove this, that it has to go to uh, Trump's intent, what he was thinking at the time. And, you know, he has never wavered in his conviction that the the election was stolen. So that's his best defense. I mean, you know, and as far they say they, they named a couple of people who claim they told Trump that there was nothing here. That, you know, there's no basis for this. But he had other people telling him to keep going, like uh, Giuliani. Right. So, you know, and, and since when does Trump take advice? <laughs> you know, so they can, he, all he can do, all he has to do is point to all the news stories written about him to say, how can you say this guy was intentionally trying to overthrow the government processes and things like that? You know, even asking um Pence to not certify, you can point back to things that have been done in the past. So there are some precedent and things like that. These are not necessarily unprecedented, maybe to the degree, but definitely the way they've been reported. But I, I don't think it's going to I don't think they have a case that they can go against. And it doesn't matter, though. She's she's getting her day in the sun. It's going to help her political career. And, you know, there's nothing but accolades and rewards for going after Trump. Yeah, I know he should charge people. Like, <laughs> if you use my name, you have to pay me. It's like a copyright, right? Yeah. At this point, I mean, that's, that's right. Point. They're benefiting off his name. Yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious. It's crazy. It's just, it's so bizarre. It's so bizarre to me. And I don't know how they're getting away with it. I, that's where my concern is. I mean, and that's where everybody's concern should be. Who just gets to throw these things out if it can happen to them it can happen to you right if it yeah. can happen to someone with millions of dollars with the best lawyers money can buy and they can be they can stick it to them for the dumbest things what makes you think it can't happen to you well you know we have the constitution and we have our separation of powers so that's cast in stone but there's a very critical piece here and that is the freedom of the press so when when they set this country up, you know, in order for the people to consent, for in order for the power to reside in the people, they have to be accurately informed. They have to know what's going on. They have to have objective information. And all the news, the online stuff, and especially the broadcast stuff, it's all sensationalized entertainment. And you know, there there there's not a journalistic standard here at all. So people you know, people don't honestly know what's going on. You know, when I was a senior in high school and I took a journalism class, we had to write a report. We had to write a research report, but you had to see your side. You had to write about the opposite side. 
and then state why you chose your side, right? So for, against, and then why you chose the side you did. And that's, people aren't doing that. People don't mm-hmm. see the other side. They're not even taking the time to know that there is another side. You know, I tell my kids all the time, there's three sides of the story, mine, yours, and the truth. Somewhere in the middle right. there because both of us are going to be skewed. And that's human nature. There's no way around that. There's no that's way right. that I can tell you a story and, and it, I'm right and I'm always right. And that's the way it is because I'm biased towards myself. Of course, I don't want to see myself as wrong. Mm-hmm. Who would? You know, and people are not looking for any... Any articles I cite with people, I find the other side and make sure that, you know, somewhere in the middle is the truth, right? The, the left is not right. The right is not right. It, there's a, a fine line in the middle there. And that's what people are not searching for. They're just going with what they see. And the news is spot on to say whatever they want, throw it out and see what sticks. We had when there were riots out here, when when George Floyd happened, we had a protest. There was a tweet that went out from the news from KDKA or WTAE, and it was a picture of burning buildings and and cars overturned, and my husband called me hysterical, you know, because we were home, I was home with kids, and we're maybe a mile away from where it was, where this protest was taking place, and he said, oh my God, I saw this tweet, someone showed me what's going on, like everything's burning, and I'm like, that's not true. Now, the news did go back onto their tweet and say, oh, that that image was from, you know, somewhere else, from from Minnesota last year Mm -hmm. with the burning buildings. But at that point, it doesn't matter. People have seen it. They're not going back to verify. They're not going back to check and see if the news did it right. They're seeing it and running with it and causing mass hysteria. Yeah, well, people increasingly, I think now more than ever, are led by their emotions. And, you know, so they go with whatever feels right and then they think about it later. So your reason, I mean, you know, you got to look at the – like. A good example would be the blind side thing. Have you followed this story with Michael Ower and the Tuies? A little bit. Somewhat? Well, I, you know, we, we went back and forth on this, and I'm kind of like, well, why is he just now coming out about it? You know, right. like, why, how did you not know they made money, you know, over the past 15 years? You know, people want Sandra Bullock yeah. to give her Oscar back for something that had nothing to do with her. Like, some of it's a little ridiculous. I, I'm kind of trying, because, again, well, there's his side and their side. And somewhere in yep. the middle, there's a meeting. Well, you know, it's an emotional story. So whatever you read first, you tend to lean, you know, and then we all have our biases. But, yeah, you know, I learned from being on two juries. I was the in a criminal trial and a civil trial, and they were pretty close together. When you one side presents their case first, by the time they rest, you and your mind think this is this is cut and dry. I know what's going on here. I can, I can give my verdict right now. You know, I can vote right. I know everything that's going on. I'm so confident. But then when the other side starts to talk, it's like, Oh no, now it's like chipping away at all that. And now you, so you end up conflicted and both, and, and they do a great job of choosing the jury based on people's background and, and, you know, speculating on their biases, because in both cases, when the jury went in to deliberate, it was split right down the middle. Yeah. And, you know, we had to negotiate. Yeah. I mean, that's literally what we did in each case. We negotiated. It, it's hard. I mean, you know, human nature is, is, is a tricky thing. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just a very difficult, I don't know. I don't, I, you know, I'm, I'm glad so far nobody's brought up the race part of this. Maybe some commentaries have, I don't know, but you know, if, if I think about, I mean, you have kids, one thing 
that I've learned going through raising them to adulthood is, you know, at some point they move out, they start to build their own lives and it's different. It's like they're separate people. They start to change the way they think about things. And, you know, where you used to be like in total sync with your kids, whether you agreed with them or not, you knew everything that was going on. And soon after they leave, it's like, it's kind of weird, yeah. <laughs> you know? I, I... And so you love when they come back. But, you know, when I look at Michael Ower's life, I mean, he spent no more than two years. It was more than a year, but no more than two years with the Tuies. And all the, both by the testimony of both sides and everything that's been written, it was a loving family connection. But he had lived something like 16 years before that in and out of different homes and things like that. And then he went off to college. So, you know, he was really a, a member of that household for less than two years. Yeah. It was definitely more than one. I don't know the exact time frame. So, you know, now he's seven years through the NFL. He's retired years ago. You know, so, I mean, I, I, it just makes me wonder if that parent bond thing has kind of faded. And, you know, he's always been bothered by the fact that the movie portrayed him as not understanding football. The way the movie was, he was just this big kid with talent, and but he didn't know anything about football, and the Tuies basically taught him football, okay. them and the coaches. And I remember when the movie first came out, he said, he came out and said that that bothered him. He goes, I knew a lot about football, and you know, because I had been playing football since I was a little kid. It wasn't like that at all. And then more, he even wrote a book where he talked about that. Well, now more recently, he's kind of exchanged it a little bit where he said the movie portrayed him as stupid. Okay. And he said, I'm not stupid. So it seems like that's kind of bothered him. Right. But, you know, and he, he's, he's making the assumption that the two, he's made a lot of money off the movie because the movie grossed three thirty million. But, you know, they claim they didn't and whatever they made, they shared it equally, including yeah. with him. He wouldn't accept the money, they said. So they put it in a trust fund for his kids. OK. And, you know, they he, his initial claim was they lied to him. Now, this is a problem I have with like Hollywood and the whole deal. They presented it in the book and then definitely in the movie as adoption. OK. When in reality, it was a conservatorship. Right. And I but, saw that the attorney who represented him was a friend of theirs. So, you know, my right. thing is, well, how do you not know what you're signing? You know, he was, an, he was an adult when he signed it. And you can't legally adopt someone who's an adult. So that well, apparently, you. apparently other lawyers have weighed in and said you could. Okay. Now, that doesn't mean that's the advice that the two he's got from their attorney. Just like, you know, this this solicitor in Gettysburg, you know, not all attorneys are going to take the same position. Right. But uh, Michael Ower wrote a book in 2010, 2011. And in the book, he called it a conservatorship. It's written in his own book. So he knew the word. Right. If now is he saying he didn't know what it really meant? I mean, I, it almost seems like some people got to him. I don't know. Maybe. He's in financial. He should be set financially, and so should the family. They sold their restaurant business for like $200 million. I don't know how much of that they cleared, but it's got to be in the tens of millions. Yeah. You know, he played – he was a first-round draft pick, played seven years in the NFL, so he had to make tens of millions. 
Right. So I, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know what this is about. It, it shouldn't be about money, but they claim that before they went public, they went to the he his lawyer approached the family and said for fifteen million we won't go public with this. Yep, yep. I saw the shakedown, um, and yeah. I know that his his biological mother was in the original meeting. I think I read that too that she was yeah, in she, the meeting when she when he signed. She had to sign off on the conservatorship, or if it had been an adoption, she would have had to agree to either one. Okay. Because she was alive. Yeah. Which is interesting because he was an adult. I mean, he was 18. Yeah. You know, so that's that's an interesting concept. But again, like I said, they had their family friend representing him as an attorney. So yep. you're kind of, you know, that's where, again, where facts start coming to play. Because you read it and you're like, oh, well, they, you know, he comes out and he says they did this and they did that. And you're like, oh, they're horrible people. And then they come out and say, oh, well, yeah, it, it like goes back and forth. You know, it's, it ebbs yep. and flows. Which, which way do you go? And I, I think that it's. You know, but then I don't know, is this a case that should be played out in public view? You know, is that and then why? You know, and then I start to question that. Why right. is it in public view? I don't who cares about the Tuies? I don't care about the Tuies. I don't care about Michael Dewey. I don't care that he you know, what I mean, like, do you really want it's like Antonio Brown, right? You're watching this whole saga play out and it's like, is this really something that we should be seeing? Is this not your private life? Do you want this to be seen? Why? And then why? Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I've gone through that. I've, I've asked for Michael and the Tuies. What would be their motives? Like, right. what would be their motive for taking advantage and lying to him and, and things like that? I don't think it's money because they have plenty of money. Um, people are fanatics about their football teams, and he was considered a booster for Mississippi. I don't know if that meant he was actually giving money or because he was a former player, he fell under the booster rules. So having an, another kid living in his household, that could be seen as a violation of recruiting uh, rules under the NCAA. So he could not go to Mississippi if if unless he was part of the family, either through adoption or conservatorship. So that's they openly said that they went to Michael. They said, look, if you think you might want to go to Mississippi, then we need to do something to make you part of this family legally. Otherwise, they won't take you because it violates NCAA rules. Okay. Now, you know, another piece of this, he lived with several other families before the Tuies. You know, I guess he would live with them and maybe end up on the street. But somehow this Christian school to which all these families belong discovered him and brought him in. So, you know. Did they want him because he would help their football team, right. which they had a football team. So, you know, there's definitely a piece of this where, you know, these people wanted to help their own football teams. Right. Um, and the Tuies were the final ones that brought him in. And he, from what I heard, he hasn't talked about any of the other families. I don't know if they were foster, you know, or what, but he would live with other families affiliated with kids in the school, I guess, so he could play football there. So in a sense, they were kind of taking advantage of him. But the right. Tuies were the ones that brought him in, I guess, full time. Okay. It's it's an interesting, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Right. But what about him? I mean, unless he did, had, did some bad investments and lost money, 
you know, who knows? I mean, does he have people around him that, you know, they want to use this to profit? Is it a, a cultural, you know, white people taking advantage, you know, rich white people taking advantage of the poor black kids and they're trying to play that angle? I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I know that he feels like he got the shaft on that movie. And maybe, you know, people around him have told him, hey, this is your chance to get your piece. Yeah. You know, you become the famous hero instead of the dumb black kid that they rescued. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's just sad, though. And it, it should remind all of us to be very careful of when you watch movies, you get entertained and everything. But you got to separate that from reality because it's not reality what you see. And it's not, and that's with, you know, that's the same thing is with, uh, oh, what's the movie about the child trafficking? Oh, yeah, yeah. Sound of Freedom. Okay. Same concept, right? I went to the movie, saw it, had heard about it. Very emotional movie. People <laughs> left because they were upset. And then everybody says, well, it's not true. And oh, and he twisted, he didn't really do that. And, he, and I said, you know, it's still a movie, right? right. You have to take that into account. This is still a movie. It's still for your maybe not entertainment, but entertainment. It is. Sense that that's what it is, right? You might not be laughing entertained. I, you know, people can take that, but right. it's, it's, it's a movie. They are trying to make money. They're trying to entertain you. Yes. You have to add, subtract, embellish, you know, yep. and everybody should know that. I mean, anything that's based on a true story is based on it. You know, it doesn't mean yep. word for word it happened. It's great when it does. And it's great when they have a story that's good enough that, you don't have to change it, but you do have to change it. And, you know, people calling for Sandra Bullock should give that back. Like, it, it was a story. It was just a nice mm -hmm. story. And, it, and at the time of the movie, and I do remember the movie coming out, it was a nice story. It made people feel good. And it was yep. happy. And that's what movies are supposed to do. You want the happy ending. That's fairy tales. Well, right? I mean, the main facts of the movie are true. Right. You know, what they report, that family, those kids, that all happened. You know, but part of what the movie, Hollywood has a recipe for TV shows and movies. That certain things are always present. There always has to be, you know, a good guy and a bad guy. Uh, there's another, there's a point where they have a crisis. I, I want to say existential <laughs> crisis, but there's another word for it, like crisis of the night or something like that. So if you, once you learn this formula that they use, if you watch movies, you see this repeating sometime multiple times in a movie, you know, so like the scene where, you you know, the guy, there's a scene where the guy living in the jungle, you know, went in to molest a little girl and he was hiding there and he jumped out and fought him and stabbed him. I was watching it thinking, well, that was entertaining, but I don't know if it actually right. went down that way. Right. It could have very well been that he just went, got her out of her cabin and they ran away. OK, yeah. but that's not exciting. That's not Hollywood. Oh, no. Now he's going to get caught. You know, he's going to now he's got to fight this guy. And there were two instances where there was an instance earlier where he got in front of a guy to stop him from molesting a little boy. And he was a tough guy, gangster type. And yeah. that almost escalated into a conflict. I don't know that that ever happened. Right. You know, so the basic facts of, you know, that the, that the child trafficking exists and how it operates and those children and their father, those are all true. 
Right. And, you know, so some little details are embellished, but, you know, so it's it, what's what's funny to me or I, I think striking to me is how people want to completely dismiss this out of their political leanings. They want to completely ignore the issue of child sex trafficking, you know, to distance themselves from the Q conspiracy or something like that. I mean, come on. You know, you don't care about children being kidnapped, even though the data is out there. We know that this really happens, but they want to pretend it doesn't because, you know, they don't. It's it's somehow because they're that might get, you know, affiliated with people. We don't want to agree on anything with people that might be associated with QAnon. You know, that's kind of the attitude about this. And I said, you know what? I don't care if the whole movie's fake. (laughs) Like the whole thing was embellished. At the end of the day, there is a purpose, right? And the point of it is to bring attention to this. And if you don't right. see there's something wrong, I can't help you. I mean, I don't know where you got lost in your moral compass, but I can't help you. Now, they certainly have the good people, bad people thing really mixed up. I mean, that's what the politics are, right? You're the good people. You know, we're fighting those bad conspiracy theorists and those extreme mobs for liberty. And, you know, they make... You know, you guys have to be the bad guys, and so they can feel good to be the good people. That's and but now they're doing it, and they're defending sex trafficking, or at least ignoring child sex trafficking. I yeah. mean, that's that's you're you're not on the right side if you're no. doing that. No, and and honestly, I I would rather be wrong if it was, you know, if the end result was the right thing. Right. Yep. Like, I'll be wrong. I'm, I'll be wrong all day. I'll, I'll admit that I'm wrong and I'll acknowledge it and I'll tell you I'm sorry. You know, but it, honestly, I, I didn't I didn't believe in so many things. And then, you know, I'm like, oh, my friends are conspiracy theorists. They're nuts. And you know what happened, Bob? They started being right. <laughs> and you're yeah. really losing it. Like, what is happening? You know, I would rather be wrong than be right with so much of this. And it's it's crazy. I agree. Well, um, Sherry and I interviewed a gentleman who's head of a local group called the Acervo Project, and they do the investigations. They recognize that law enforcement doesn't have all the resources to do these early investigations. Some of the federal enforcement does it with the, you know, they put they go online and pose as children and things like that, and then they trap these guys. But the Acervo Project is basically doing that. They they spend their they're all ex law enforcement, military, tech people, and they they scour the dark web and all these seedy places, and they look, and when they, if they can build evidence against these people, they present it to the police, so the police can actually go in and do the raids and make the arrest. Yeah. And it's a great interview. I broke it up into multiple shorts so that people can see the important pieces without watching the whole thing. But it really he really explains how children on gaming sites and whatnot get lured into this and how how the the tactics that these people use. And I think there's an important thing for people to be aware of. I mean, he would actually do a they, they do public presentations. They go into schools to try to raise awareness and teach kids and parents what to look out for. I'm sure they would do something for Moms for Liberty if you wanted. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's you know, I was just reading something from the Moms for Liberty member in Gettysburg, actually, about, um, you know, the things that you have to social media and, and things to talk to your kids about and guidance from the. Uh, 
maybe the FT, FTIC, federal trade, mm -hmm. something like that. Um, but, you know, guidance for how to talk to your kids and what to be aware of and what to look out for. I mean, there, yep. there's so many apps. There's so many different ways to get to these kids now and yep. so many ways to avoid getting caught. And, and it's it's scary. Well, they they basically play the long game. So, you know, as parents, you tell your kids, watch out for this, that and the other thing. But these people are so subtle and they take their time. They'll engage with the kids. They'll play the games. They'll do whatever. And they'll look for these little bits of information. They don't ask for big information. What's your address? Tell me where you live. You know, they they try to get these kids going back and forth. If they find out that they're frustrated or, you know, have a they're angry at their sister or whatever they'll they'll then get them to talk a little bit about their sister maybe they're something's going on with their parents they'll go well what about your so they learn little things like where the sister goes to school they learn you know when the parents what the parents do for a living and things like that and they build all this and then there comes a day where they they you know release it on the kid they basically got them trapped mm -hmm. a lot of cases for you know i guess for the older kids especially but they'll convince them like boys to share nude photos. So, you know, an old guy can give a teenage boy these naked photos of some young girl and say that's her. Right. And then they say, oh, why don't you send, I'll send you another one. I'll send you another one. You know, and then they get away. Just send me something, anything. And then they'll tell the kid. Then once they have it, that's their leverage. So they'll do it without that or with that. They'll say, hey, we, I have these pictures and your parents and everybody in your school is going to see them if you don't do what I tell you. Or I know where your sister goes to school and I know where your mother works and I'm going to I'm going to hurt them if you don't do what I tell you. So <laughs> they trap the kid. And again, that takes months sometimes for them to get to extract all this information. They just get little bits at a time. They're really good at this. My son's on Snapchat. Funny story. What's that? My son's on Snapchat. Gets a snap from someone, adds them. He sends his face, just his face. He gets a snap right back that has split screen, his face, and from the waist down, a nude man. Mm. My son loses his mind, calls me upstairs, what's going on? Um, you know, they said that they were gonna send it to everybody if he didn't send them, you know, $500, right? This is, it's sextortion is what it's yeah. called. That's the word for it. You know, and I told him, I said, listen, anybody who knows you knows that you would never do this, that he's just not that type of person to be sending nudes out of himself, right? And he was very, you know, he's a teenager. I mean, this is like, this is the horse. Right. My, what kind of people are doing this to people? I, you know, I can't comprehend. But, you know, it was fine. It ended up being okay. But I explained to him, you know, and, and we made light of it in the house. You know, we kind of said this is not the worst thing in the world. You could be in the principal's office with this picture and me and have to show this picture and discuss. Like, it could be way more embarrassing than it is. But, you know, at the end of the day, there are kids who are out there killing themselves because this is happening. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's not the end of the world. Well, asking for money is the, the better scenario, because what they, the other ones try to do is they say, you have to meet me. If you don't come and meet me at this place in this time, this is what I'm going to do with this information I have. Even if they get 10 kids and they try to get anything from any of them, they're still making money and it's minimal effort. It's minimal yeah. to make these kids do this. So it's awful. Yep. All right. Well, so yeah, check out the Acervo project on our yes. page. And I, Joy, I, I really appreciate you bailing me out here and uh, coming out. It's always fun to talk to you, Bob. All right. Any Anything else you'd like to throw in or? 
I no, I you know we have some great stuff coming up for Moms for Liberty. We're gonna try and get some uh, get James Lindsay, you know. So we're hoping to kind of make that solid and and get things firmed up for that, and hope that people can come out and see him. He's fantastic. He's wonderful, awesome. We'd love to get Billboard Chris. We're gonna work on that one too. But <laughs> it's a little it's a little tricky. It's getting hard. So these people, as they you know, as we kind of come back to the right side of the world here. And everything straightens mm-hmm. out. They're a little more in demand. They're not so hated. So it's a little hard to get. Oh, and I don't know if I said it already, but Joy agreed to do this on like zero notice. <laughs> she had no, I'm like, can you come on and do a po- podcast with me? I so I, I really, really appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. Thanks. Thank you.